Hi, friends. It's the Sadie, and welcome to another episode of Thinking Out Loud, my consistently inconsistent podcast on news, culture, and politics, where I share whatever I'm investigated and I'm interested in with you, and we kind of work through it together. If you enjoy this, if you want to, I would encourage you to go ahead and subscribe, hit that notification bell to make sure that you are notified of the next episode, because as I said, it is consistently inconsistent. And if not, you can also join my email list. The link for that is down below. Now, what are we talking about today? Today, I am talking about the TikTok that went viral recently uh, that was posted by Trial by Preston, where he talked about and he shared how he was approached by the Good Information Foundation to post a false story on January 6th, offering him $400. So I'm going to break down the whole thing. I'm going to tell you who Disinformation Foundation is. I'm going to tell you what their whole plan is. I'm going to tell you their history, and I'm going to tell you who's behind it. I asked everyone if they were interested in this, because this is going to be a lot of information. I posted it on my Instagram. You said you wanted to hear it. So here we are. Also, I spent a lot of time on it. So obviously, I'm going to put a video out, because otherwise, I'm just doing it for my own entertainment. Regardless, let's go ahead and let's get into this. Remember how I mentioned that this all stems from a TikTok. Now, the TikTok was posted by a attorney and creator on TikTok, obviously, by the name of Preston, or his handle is Trial by Preston. And he is a legal analyst that covers several legal issues and questions. And he seems to be pretty centrist or um, nonpartisan, I would say. Now I'm going to go ahead and let him tell you what he was asked to do. And then uh, we'll keep going down the rabbit hole. All right. So here we are. Let's go ahead and see what Preston has to say. Just offered $400 to make an anti-Donald Trump propaganda post related to the January 6th investigation that is completely not true. I should start out this video by saying I'm not a Donald Trump supporter, so that should give a little bit of context to where I'm coming from. I'm an attorney. I post legal news and analysis on related topics. Okay, here we go with the story. So first thing first, I get an email from somebody with the Good Info Foundation. We'll talk about them a little more in a minute. I'm going to refer to this person as Jane. Jane sent me a message letting me know she represented the Good Info Foundation and that she was willing to offer a paid collaboration to discuss some topics related to January 6th. I said, sure, why not? I'll learn some more. Jane says the Good Info Foundation will give me $400 to make a post on my page and then share it to Instagram. So you see that blue link? All right, here, we're going to follow it. These are the specific requirements in order to obtain that $400. Okay, so once I saw this, of course, immediately, immediately, because I'm a nosy Nelly, I did three things. I followed the link that he mentions, which, by the way, no longer works. They pulled all the information that was on the link. I... Uh, checked the registration domain for goodinformationfoundation.com, I believe, or .org. I can't remember the website, but I looked up the registration. The registration information is kept private. And then the other thing is I did is, of course, I visited their website. Now, they have pulled the um, campaign, but of course, the internet never forgets, and I was sure to go ahead and take some screenshots. Okay, here we go. To use, it says, for example, say criminal conspiracy, not attempted coup, treason, or insurrection, specifically Trump Republicans, not Trump and his allies. They're very specific on what kind of words that you need to use. And then one of the main things that Preston pointed out was the claim 
here that says that the Trump campaign paid literally millions of dollars to make January 6th happen. Now, he went ahead and he, of course, asked, what is the evidence or what do you have that states or that proves this statement that you're asking for them to make in your own words? Because it says in all caps up at the top, key messaging in your own words. The individual he was emailing with completely dodged the question. And that is what ultimately led him to post about being approached for the campaign. So I go and visit the Good Information Foundation website, of course. And I'm not going to go too in-depth on everything here because I'm going to cover it again later. But really quick, we want to know exactly what is the Good Information Foundation. And it says that the foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization founded in 2021 to tackle the growing information crisis in America that is undermining social trust, harming public health, and damaging our democracy. I also noticed that it says uh, that they want to increase the flow of good factual information online to counter and rebut the spread of misinformation and disinformation. We do this by creating, incubating, funding, and lifting up fact-based solutions, voices, programs, and initiatives that can be quickly developed, tested, and deployed at scale. It's very interesting considering that this is coming from an organization that has just proposed to pay someone for a false story, but we'll cover that a little bit more later. Uh, two of the programs that they have, they have a program that vote that focuses on voting, and then another program that is the Good Information Civic News Initiative. It says that through the Civic News Initiative, the foundation will fund and organize a network of local and niche media properties, freelance reporters, editors, and social content producers to distribute factual, value-driven news and content to the communities in which they live that effectively counter and dilute the impact of disinformation. And this, this, is, this is the key here because clearly this is what just happened. The foundation will compensate publishers and freelancers and influencers to publish their original reporting online and offer the content free of charge to any global, national, state, or local news organizations to bolster the reporting capacity and coverage within those communities and geographies. As I go through this entire explanation, there's going to be tidbits that I'm going to tell you, put that in your back pocket. And this is one of them. This compensation of publishers and then to put it out on national, local uh, news outlets. Another thing that is interesting to me, um, now that we're looking at the website, you notice that there's no other information about who is on this board, who is made up of this foundation, who they're chair is at all. Funny thing is, is that when I first looked at the website, that information was there. And because the internet never forgets, yet again, here's a screenshot. Here it gives you the board chair. So the board chair is a Rick Stengel. He is an American editor, author, and former government official. It looks like he was part of, he was a managing editor at Time Magazine, and he served as President Obama's Undersecretary of State for Public Diplomacy and Public Affairs from 2014 to 2016, and he also is currently a uh, on-air analyst at M MSNBC and a strategic advisor for Snap Inc. Snap Inc. is Snapchat. He also has worked a lot with the Obama administration, um, 
in managing and countering Russian disinformation and ISIS propaganda. This is during the time that ISIS, during Obama's administration, was really growing. Remember the time of the Arab Spring, and ISIS was doing a whole lot of online campaigning and spreading propaganda. So he set up and worked closely in programs to counter that propaganda. So in other words, he is very familiar with technology and with propaganda. An additional interesting tidbit about Mr. Siegel is that he wrote this op-ed. There is an op-ed written October 29th of 2019 titled on the Washington Post titled Why America Needs a Hate Speech Law. He essentially advocates for limits on the First Amendment, and uh, specifically here towards the bottom, he states, let the debate begin. Hate speech has a less violent but clearly as damaging impact in, in another way. It diminishes tolerance and enables discrimination. It's that by definition, speech that undermines the values that the First Amendment was designed to protect, fairness, due process, equality before the law. Why shouldn't the states experiment with their own version of hate speech statutes to penalize speech that deliberately insults people based on religion, race, ethnicity, and sexual orientation? All speech is not equal, and where truth cannot drive out lies, we must add new guardrails. Without question, he is not a First Amendment free speech absolutist, and he's clearly very well connected with the Democrats and well-versed in technology and propaganda. So my question is, first of all, why did they pull Rick Stengel's information off of the Good Information Foundation? Um, at the time, when I first noticed that it had been pulled, I wondered, first, was Good Information Foundation a true 501c3 foundation? Was Stengel ever really truly involved? Is this a ruse somehow? and Or was he involved at some point and no longer involved? And so that's why they pulled it. All of these questions... I had to have them answered, of course. What do I do? I do one of these, which is vigorously typing through the internet, clicking around with my mouse, and I go on a hunt. So what's the information that I have right now? It is a 501c3. A 501c3 means that it needs to be registered with the IRS in order to have a tax-exempt status. So the first thing that I do is that I go to the Guy Starred I'm sorry, there's a website called guide, guidestar.org. And this is a website that anybody can go to if you're looking to see the contributions that are made um, and the donors uh, of a 501c3 because it is required that those be reported. Of course, it said on the website that it was established in 2021. So I didn't find anything on Guidestar, but there had to have been at some point an application or something or an approval from the IRS to grant them 501c3 status or a tax exempt status. So I went to the IRS website. And if you go to the IRS website, you can do tax exempt organization searches. So of course, that's exactly where I went. I plugged in good information and I found, let's go, let's go check out, let's go see what I found. This is the website, but I want to go ahead and pull up what I found, which is this letter right here. As you can see, this is the letter that if you can't see, if you're not watching, I've pulled up a letter or that I found that is granting the 501c3 status to the Good Information Foundation. The information I'm able to get from this form is the date 
in which they were granted the exemption, which is April 8th of 2022. And then also, if you look down here, it says effective date of exemption, February 4th, 2021. So what happens there is that obviously, if you create a foundation um, and then you file for tax exempt status, you have to it's going to, there's going to be a lag there. There's going to be some time. So at this point with this letter, they have granted them tax exempt status on April 8th of 2022. And it's telling me that it's effective of February 4th, 2021, which is basically telling me that this organization was founded February 4th of 2021. In addition, I have an address here, which is a New York state address. And because New York state, if anything, is dependable, and having bureaucracy and requiring everything to be registered and to be trying to suck any opportunity to get money off of you, I was pretty sure that at some point this organization had to have registered with the state of New York. And I was on the hunt for the board members. So can't find the board members here on the IRS website. But I wonder, can I find it over with the New York state? So let's let's uh, virtually hop on a plane and head over to New York State. I've already pulled it up and I've looked for it here. Now, I'm currently in where you go to charities, New York State or NYS.com. And it says search the registry, which is what I searched. I plugged in good information and I found some results. And I went ahead and I pulled up registration statement for charitable organizations because that's probably going to give me the most information. Here we go. This is the statement that I found. And I'm going to, this is like, I was so excited. And I'm such a nerd, honestly. So <laughs> pulled it up and found the good information. Foundation, same address as the other form. Also have some inform some additional information, phone number, emails. And if you go just a few pages over, here we have List all officers, directors, trustees, key persons, and employees. And we got a whole list. And right there is Mr. Richard Stengel, chair, and uh, at the offices right there in New York State. In addition, we also have the director, Tara McGowan, uh, the president, Nico Mele. I'm a, I might be mispronouncing one or two of these names. Uh, the treasurer is Kareem Sayoin. I um, apologize for a mispronunciation there. And then key employees or consultant are Chelsea and Emily Elbert. I'm sorry, Chelsea Kamner, I believe it says. So here we have an entire, all the members of the board. And then one thing that I found particularly interesting, and this is just a little bit of a side note, but here it asks specifically, does the organization have a federal tax exempt status? And it says no. Mind you, this was filed in, if we go over here, it was filed August 24th of 2022. They were granted tax, tax exempt status April of this same year. So as of the time that they filed this form, they have had tax exempt status for four months. However, they registered saying that they did not have federal tax exempt status. I don't know if that's a big deal. I just find it interesting. You know what I mean? Maybe whoever was preparing it wasn't aware that the exemption had been granted. I just find it interesting that a gentleman such as Stengel uh, wouldn't know that and in fact signed, as you can see here at on the last page, the 
the registration before it was submitted to New York State. So at this point, I have now confirmed the fact that Mr. Single is actually a board member. So I'm asking, why did they pull his information from the website? Find that very curious. And in addition, I have other names that are affiliated with the Good Information Foundation. So I decide that I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to look up every one of these names and I'm going to do a search with the term good information to see what I find. I know this is a lot of information. I just want you to pretend that you're kind of, you're with me. You're by my side as I'm investigating like this. I'm just sharing with you kind of how my brain works when I'm doing one of these uh, little research projects. And so as I'm, I go and I look first person, who's there? Who's the top of the list is Tara McGowan. I have never heard of Tara McGowan. I have no idea who she is. Keep that name in your back pocket. Okay. So Tara McGowan, I go ahead and I do a search and I search Tara McGowan along with good information. And I find good information, Inc. website, goodinfo.us. And I'm like, wait a minute. Okay, first I got a little bit confused because I thought it was basically the same thing. And then I realized that this is these are two separate companies. This is what's really interesting right now. I'm going to take you over here because I just find I find this absolutely fascinating. This is the website. However, let me show you something first before we do that. If you type in right now, good in, good info. US, they've pulled the website. It's gone. It's been gone since I think it was like two days after the TikTok went viral was when I realized that the website had been pulled. However, because the internet never forgets, I of course went to the Wayback Machine to the web archives. So here we have the good information website. So this is specific, it's going to get a little confusing. So we have Good Information Foundation, which I'm going to start saying foundation. So like the foundation in order to make it easier. And then when I just say good information, I'm talking about the corporation. All right. So I'm going to do the that distinction to kind of help keep things, uh, I think, a little bit more organized and easier to follow. Let's check out Good Information. So one of the things is, remember how I said stick in your back pocket, the whole civic incubator thing? Here we have Good Information Inc. is a civic incubator that invests in new business models and smart solutions to counter disinformation where it spreads by increasing the flow of good information online. And then on this little section right down here, it says that good information will invest in the part and partner with media companies and platforms that center the communities they serve, their interests, and their media consumption habits in their reporting and their content distribution strategies. And here at the very top, founder of Good Information Inc. is Tara McGowan. Another thing that I see over here, their portfolio, Courier News. Keep that one in your back pocket also. So at this point, I'm wondering to myself, is this the same? Are these affiliated, good information and the foundation? Clearly, they're affiliated because Tara McGowan is the director of the foundation. And here we have her as the founder and CEO of Good Information. So I went ahead and also let's do a, um, I thought it was going to be fun to do like a quick side-by-side -side comparison 
of the two websites so we can see how close and their messaging is and also their branding and the talking points that they use. Because mind you, what is happening here is that we have a for-profit corporation and a non-profit foundation basically doing the same thing, but in different ways. Okay, so over here on the left, we have good information. And on the right, we have the foundation. And so as we see, we have similar branding, we have similar colors, there are some additional points that are made for those of you who are listening. They share stats such as 9 million Americans uh, believe the 2020 election was stolen. 89 million Americans believe voter fraud is a major problem. All of these stats are shared on both of their websites. And then before we head on, just a quick reminder here is how they both are essentially talking about creating a news kind of spreading apparatus is really the only way that I can describe it. it. Sounds like what they want to do is a type of social media marketing. The foundation specifically states that it wants to compensate publishers and freelancers and influencers to publish their original reporting online and offer the content free of charge to any news publication, essentially. The same thing happens. Good Information Inc. will invest and partner with media companies and platforms that center the communities they serve, their interests and their media consumption habits in the reporting and content distribution strategies. All of this wording sounds really good initially, especially if you are looking at it without any of the context of what had just happened, of the fact that this story was being presented and this individual was being asked to post a already formulated story, which I find very interesting because here it says original reporting online and then compensating them in order to spread what is essentially disinformation. And then over here on the corporation side, they are a corporation that owns newspapers and media platforms to essentially help disseminate what the foundation is having the influencers create. I mean, it's a very I like I'm not going to knock it. This is this is a very clever strategy. Questionable, but still clever. Now, you think I'm done or you think I have answered all the questions, but no, nay nay. I am not done yet because this one keeps going. So I'm curious, how close are these this corporation and this foundation. And one of the things that I wondered was, do they share the same office space? Just, you know, spoiler alert, I never found that information. The corporation pulled their website. Their domain information is, although public, um, it was registered by a member. And I believe that the address that's there is actually a private address. So if anybody's listening to this, you may want to go ahead and private that information because it's out there and I don't want to share it. However, I was still, of course, curious. And one of the things that I did was that the form that I found from the New York Charity Registry for the Good Information Foundation also had a phone number. So on a whim, I'm like, why not? Let me try and let me see about this phone number. Does it appear anywhere other than affiliated with Good Information Foundation? And when I plugged in the phone number, I ended up finding a 2017 990 for an organization called Acronym that was created by Tara McGowan. So I'm like, oh, that is very, this, this is 
I'm sorry, but this is, I mean, this is very sleuthy and very interesting. Who's acronym? What is acronym? And exactly who is Tara McGowan, who keeps showing up everywhere I turn? Let's go find out. If we go to the website of Good Information, um, we have McGowan right here, and you click on it, it takes you to her Twitter profile. So let's go ahead and let's check out her Twitter profile. She is a publisher at Courier Newsroom, founder of FWIW News, another acronym, Barack Obama plus 60 Minutes alum. I did a little bit more investigation into exactly Tara McGowan's background. And just really quick, she is a former journalist. She is clearly a Democratic strategist and a digital marketing expert who worked with Obama for America as a digital producer. So the next question is, who the heck is acronym? Like, what is that? Clearly, it's important to her because she has it right here on her profile. So let's see who acronym is. I went and visited their website, but I also found a really good article from Politico of all people. So let's go ahead and let's take a look at the article. So this is a Politico article, and I'm not going to read the whole thing to you because it's a lot. We're already talking about a whole lot of stuff right now, but to give you a quick explanation of who McGowan an acronym is. It says McGowan launched acronym after Trump's election as a digital first political organization with the goal of electing progressive Democrats, mostly in the state legislative races. The group quickly attracted attention, especially in Silicon Valley, for the newly galvanized major donors, including LinkedIn's Hoffman, that is Reed Hoffman, who was wading into politics and looking for projects to disrupt the Democratic status quo. Hoffman and other donors in his network took a chance on acronym, McGowan told Politico in 2019. Acronym is an organization that was started by Tara McGowan in 2017. And it is a politically active, let's go over here to the about page, um, 501c4. Now, it's important that I point out 501c4, not 501c3. Why is that? Because a 501c4 is, it does still have to file, obviously, um, a 990, but it does not require them to disclose their donors or it requires them to disclose their donation, but not their donors. This is essentially what people would call dark money. If you've heard that phrase before, dark money is when you are unable to track the source of the money. So we have donations that are made to this organization and we can see how much is made, but we can't see who made the donation. And mind you, dark money is one of these terms that Democrats use all the time and they complain or not complain because it's, I'm not saying it's not justified. Um, I would also like to know where all of this funding comes, regardless of Democrat or Republican. But I just find it interesting that here we have a Democrat organization that is using dark money. And then at the same time, Democrats cry a lot about the use of dark money in politics. That's an interesting point to keep in your back pocket when we're talking specifically about Tara and her personal and moral views. Basically how this works is that a millionaire investor such as Reed Hoffman or famously another Democrat investor or donator or philanthropist, George Soros, can donate X amount of dollars, but we have no idea and we have no way to know that they 
made such donation. And it matters particularly here with acronym because under acronym, McGowan also went and created several other organizations, but these organizations were all except for one were for-profit organizations. So as you can see here in 2018, acronym and its affiliated PAC Packernim helped elect progressive candidates across the country with new tech and digital first strategies to register and turn out voters. In 2020, its PAC ran one of the largest and most sophisticated programs to defeat Donald Trump. Now what we have going on is we have money coming into acronym and then acronym is able to donate money to Packernim if they so choose. Now, of course, it, it has to be disclosed that acronym donated to the PAC because PACs are required to file their donations and their donors with the FEC. According to FEC filings, acronym had donated $306,000 to the PAC, $300,000 of which were, was all done in 2018. Um, however, they raised the most money in between 2019 and 2020. And during that time in 2020, we can, I'm going to go ahead and I have it pulled up here. So this is the Federal Election Commission. Uh, their largest donor was 1630 Fund, which donated $2 million. You'll also see another familiar name here, right down here, Steven Spielberg. And if we look a little bit further down, you'll see Catherine Murdoch, who is of the Murdoch family. I believe she is married to the youngest son of Rupert Murdoch, who owns Fox News. He no longer works with his father at the News Corp organization of Fox News. This was after he went and left the corporation. And then Catherine made several donations over to this pack. The total donations of the year of 2019 to 2020 was over $18 million. And then the reason I wanted to point out 1630 funds specifically, not only were there the biggest donor with $2 million that year, but also that fund is another 501c4, which is another dark money fund, just like acronym. In other words, what can happen here is that millionaires, billionaires, whoever can give money to the 1630 fund, and then 1630 fund can donate the money to the PAC, essentially laundering who the donor is. All a system. It's all, it's a twisted dark web that we weave or whatever. You know what I mean? That's the nonprofit is the PAC, which was one of the organizations that stemmed out of acronym. Uh, there are three more that are for profit. And we're going to go from, I guess, the least relevant to this story to the most relevant. One of them being uh, Shadow Inc., which I think is absolutely hilarious that they chose to name it Shadow Inc. And as we can see here, Shadow Inc. has now been defunct. It is no longer in existence. But it is significant because what ended up happening, as you can see this reporting from CBS News, is that the company behind troubled app used in Iowa caucus breaks scandal or breaks silence. <laughs> Look at me slipping up and saying scandal. The tech company behind the app 
built to report the results of the Iowa caucus said that the problem with the app was in its process to transmit data to the Iowa Democratic Party. Now, see, what happened was is that during the 2020 election, I don't know if you're familiar with caucusing, I've never caucused, but this is instead of them voting at the polls, like a lot of states do, they gather together and they essentially almost haggle for votes. And in that process, you need to be able to tabulate and keep numbers of how many people are voting and for which side. So Shadow Inc. created an app in order to do that. The app failed. The app was buggy. It delayed the uh, reporting of the results. And ultimately, during that caucus, Pete Buttigieg took the win um, over Bernie Sanders. Now, there was a whole lot of conspiracy theories and that sort of thing. Um after that happened, people believed that it was done on purpose. Of course, we know that the Democrats were not a fan of Bernie Sanders. So a lot of times that's where that stems from. Also, uh, McGowan's husband was close with Pete Buttigieg. So that also didn't help. And then you have the company named Shadow Inc., that doesn't make it suspicious at all. It did not go well. It was a huge PR issue. And eventually they did speak out and they said that it was a glitch. They apologized and ultimately the company was taken out. But that company was directly started with acronym. Arguably, if it started with acronym and it stemmed out of acronym, that possibly money that cannot be tracked went through acronym and ended up over at Shadow Inc. Another for-profit that they started was uh, Lockwood Strategy. Just really quick here, this is basically a digital strategy company. And it says, we learned a lot about doing just that, having not only run our own multi-million dollar digital programs for acronym and PACronym, but also programs for mission-aligned clients such as Senate Majority PAC, Emily's List, Planned Parenthood Action Fund, CAP Action Fund, and the and Advancing AZ. So this is just another for-profit uh, company that sets up digital strategies to help with campaigning, getting voter registrations, that sort of thing. And then finally, what is most relevant to our story here is the group Courier News. Courier News or Courier Newsroom uh, was started by Tara McGowan and owned by Acronym until October 26th of 2021. Courier Newsroom is acquired by Civic Media Incubator Good Information. What's going to be interesting about the fact that Courier News was acquired by a company called Good Information is the history that Courier News has of laundering news, which is clearly good information. What do I mean when I'm talking about laundering news? Let's let's talk about it. This article actually does a great job about explaining it. So this is a another political Politico article. So by the way, as I'm talking about this, you can't say that I'm only using conservative references because clearly I have now used political Politico at least two or three times and also the Washington Post. What is happening? What does it mean to launder news? Essentially, the way that Courier News was laundering news was that they would take a press release that was sent out, for example, in this story, it says, Representative Max Rose deploys with National Guard to get hospital ready for coronavirus patients. This is a freshman congressman for New York. And at the time, he is competing for a seat. So he is vulnerable. And then it's very interesting is that Courier then goes and takes this representative's 
press release and rewrites it and then publishes it as if it's a news article that they wrote. It's basically the same press release, but now written as a news article. And then what they go and they do is that they invest advertising dollars into Facebook and they disseminate the article, air quoting there, to targeted advertisement in the areas that is important for them to get this story. That is really messed up, okay? And then the reason that is particularly messed up is because they are a news organization, it can't be called a political ad. That changes any sort of requirements that they may have to disclose. In addition, Facebook had had some pretty uh, staunch rules about advertisements, like specifically political advertisements. And in order to bypass that, you put it out as a news article. So during the 2020 election cycle, Courier News spent $1.4 million on Facebook ads, mostly to promote its flattering articles and videos about more than a dozen endangered House Democrats at the top of the Democratic Party's priority list in November, um, according to Facebook's political ad tracker. But because Courier is organized as a media outlet, it does not have to disclose its donors or the total money it spends promoting Democratic politicians. If we go a little further down here, the $1.4 million in Facebook ads is likely just a fraction of the money behind the Courier project, which includes a newsroom of at least 25 people and eight separate websites. But this activity, creating an unregulated advertising stream promoting Democrat office holders more akin to a PAC than a newsroom diverges from other partisan news outlets that are proliferating online as local newspapers struggle. So it's very different because a lot of times people will complain about how conservative news is really who is dominating social media, specifically Facebook. However, all of these conservative news websites disclose whether or not, like nobody is being run by a pack, essentially. Nobody is being run by dark money that I am aware of. Now, it's possible that it hasn't been discovered, but to my knowledge, there has been no reports on that. And then if we go down here really quick, it says, backers believe that they're simply ahead of the curve. Courier, they say, is where news is headed in the wild west of social media, where partisan stories often thrive and the old business model is failing. Quote, more quality reporting with integrity, even if it has a partisan bend, and as long as the bend is disclosed, anything to combat the spread of disinformation is important, said Nico Mele, the former director and Seashore Center on Media, Politics and Public Policy, and a Harvard Kennedy School who is supportive of Courier. Now, Nico Mele, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing correctly, is also on the board or listed to be on the board of the Good Information Foundation. And in fact, in a leaked memo, I saw uh, specifically from Acronym, and it was when Acronym was proposing creating Acronym News Corp, which Acronym News Corp essentially became uh, the Courier Newsroom. Uh, Melee was also listed as being part of the steering committee, which I find very interesting that is not disclosed in this article. I mean, I don't know if you need to disclose the fact that you're on a steering committee of an organization that you're saying that you're supportive of and that you're advocating for. I would think so. And to further emphasize about how Courier Newsroom was essentially laundering news and then promoting it on Facebook, I'm going to go over to this article, which is a National Review article, also, by the way, my first conservative 
reference so far. A national news analysis of Courier's outlays shows that at least 74% of the group's spending has been allocated to boosting vulnerable Democrats competing in 14 competitive House races. As of early September, Courier has paid for 485 ads masquerading as articles in these specific races, resulting in a range of at least 100 49.6 million to 170.5 million impressions on Facebook. Now, remember, this is all during the 2020 election. All right. So if you want to see exactly how Courier News, an acronym, does this news Facebook ad kind of campaign, you can go over and read this article from Open Secrets, Dark Money Networks, High Political Agendas Behind Fake News. And essentially what this article points out is specifically First of all, that acronym spent nearly $10 million on digital ads in the time period since online platforms first begun disclosing political ad spending in mid-2018, uh, with more than $7.3 million of that spending through pages with obscure or secret funding sources, according to Open Secret Analysis. Now, if you look at these examples, they're literally the exact same ads, especially down here. We have three different news organizations. All of these news organizations are affiliated with Courier. All of them have the same messaging. They have the same picture. They're just tweaked for each individual area. Now, what I find interesting down here is that uh, for those of you who can't see, each ad has the little news guard um, kind of like alert. And one of uh, the things that this article points out and also this little news guard signal tells you is that the funding for these news organizations isn't disclosed. Like you don't know how they are getting their money in order to essentially run these ads, these ads that are not favorable towards Republicans. This particular ad says, as unemployment numbers rise in Pennsylvania and thousands lose their employer-provided health care, the Trump administration will not reopen the federal health insurance marketplace. So essentially, arguably, what you can say here is that acronym, who owns Courier, gives money over to Courier where they can run ads who then the individual entities under Courier, such as Keystone Gardner and Cardinal Pine, run literally the exact same ad on the exact same story with money that originated from acronym, which is a dark money 501c4. And if you think that these news articles and maybe myself are just kind of looking too much into this or seeing things that we want to see, allow me to direct you to a leaked memo from acronym written by Miss McGowan on June 20th, 2019. This memo specifically lays out the plan for Acronym News Corp, which later turned into Courier Newsroom. And in this memo, it specifically says, Our Moonshot. In 2019, Acronym launched Acronym News Corp, a for-profit digital media company building out online news properties in seven 2020 battleground states. The first of these properties has already launched in Virginia, the Dogwood. The Dogwood will not only function to support the flipping of both state house and state senate chambers in Virginia this November, but will serve as a vehicle to test, learn from, and scale best practices to new sites as we grow. As you continue to go through this memo, it is literally laying out the plan of creating a newsroom that is specifically for the purposes of 
influencing elections, which you would think that a newsroom should be created with the primary goal to tell you the news. When this memo was leaked, it ultimately led to an FEC complaint. However, the FEC complaint was ultimately tossed out because they were a news organization, free speech, First Amendment, they were exempt from this. And so there was no Federal Election Commission violation. Here's the deal with all this. I am a free speech absolutist. There is no question. And they're not doing anything illegal. However, the question is, is what they are doing ethical, especially when you are creating a news organization that is specifically for the purposes of influencing elections or, you know, pushing a progressive agenda versus reporting the news. So that is really my primary issue. Now, there is a lot of debate about the whether a 501c4 is good or bad. You know, we have the ruling of Citizens United that says basically money, corporations, donations is a form of free speech, which I agree with and I think is fair. And along that, because of the fact that we have the responsibility of freedom of speech and the fact that I am a free speech absolutist also means that I will absolutely talk about things that I believe are unethical, especially when it's being used to manipulate the news and mess with our elections, which I find very interesting when they are so focused on the importance of democracy, when clearly the uh, one of the pillars to democracy is news and journalism. So it's really unfortunate that an organization such as this, such as Acronym and Courier Newsroom, would allow itself or essentially be created for the purposes of that honestly messes with our democracy. They argue that their information is factual, that they're not saying anything that isn't true, but it's clearly something that is motivated with a bias, with a agenda, and with a purpose, which is honestly the state that we're in when it comes to journalism, for the most part, um, and I think is really unfortunate. And I really do not want to see this be the future of journalism. So after all of this, after the launching of Acronym and the collapse of this app, if you guys hear grumbling in the background, it's the puppies. Um, and then the dark money affiliation and couriers and everything like that, there was a lot of bad press. There was a lot of bad press for McGowan. So ultimately, what do you do when there's bad press? Of course, you do an interview. And she goes and she does an interview with Fast Company. Now, I debated whether or not to include this interview, but I wanted to include it because reading this interview, you know, hindsight's 2020 sort of thing, you can see after everything that has happened with Acronym and how it's negatively affected Courier Newsroom that she has a Act 2 already in in the works. Uh, she doesn't talk about it in the article, but it's clear once you look and once you read the article, know what we know today, and you look at the rest of the timeline, it's already in the works. She already knows and she already has it planned and she is setting herself up for an act two. So 
of this article, I'm going to go ahead. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's very long, but I am going to pull a few pieces that kind of help us see into her future plans that ultimately become good news and the foundation. So, and of course, she's very proud. It turns out that she is very proud of this uh, interview because she has it as her link in her Twitter bio. So if you're going to put an article in the link of your Twitter bio, you best believe that I'm going to click on it and check it out. And the Democrat operative who beat Trump on Facebook is bracing for the war ahead. Tara McGowan, the CEO of political operation Acronym, spent nearly $1 million to persuade key swing voters. Here's her plan to counter right-wing media for good. So basically what this article talks about is it hits on um, how she reflects on what happened with Acronym. Um, with Shadow, with Courier News, and how everything seemed to have hit the fan at the same time. So her experience of that time and also what she learned from it and what her future plans are. Now, mind you, this interview is from December 2020. So this is right after the election. First off, one of the things that uh, struck me in the article is that McGowan acknowledges that the affiliation of acronym and Courier and what Courier did and how they use political money was problematic problematic. So specifically, while McGowan acknowledges her style has been controversial and admits that funding Courier with political money is problematic, she is not apologizing. The political landscape is uglier than ever. Quote, but until we are able to overturn Citizens United, close quote, which directs, I'm sorry, which protects dark money spending, quote, that is the landscape that we need to operate within, close quote, she says, quote, I have no problem operating with it within it to help Democrats get in a position of power to be able to change that, end quote. So essentially, she is acknowledging everything that we have talked about, that Courier is using political money, that the money essentially is coming through acronym over to, uh, to Courier, and that she has no problem whatsoever of using dark money in order to do that, in order to get into a position of power, in order to affect the change that she wants to make. The challenge with Citizens United specifically, which protects 501c4s, and the, one of the arguments is essentially that if they are forced to to share their donors, for example, then the donor could become vulnerable, which honestly is a valid, I believe, is a valid argument, especially in this landscape. Like, think about how many stories we have heard about so-and-so donated to who's he, what's it, <laughs> real technical there, and then they get called out on social media, they get canceled, and they even lose their job sometimes. So the idea of a 501c4 is that, you know, you should be able to make these donations without having your personal information put out there. Now, one of the issues is, is that when you have a billionaire that just pumps money into something, you know, it can become increasingly challenging. So the question is, maybe there should be a limit to donations to a 501c4. I don't know what the answer is. It's a I think it's it's a little bit more of a complicated solution versus, you know, what she is saying essentially is is that I think it's bad. I don't agree with it. 
we must get rid of it. And I'm going to use this tool that is at my disposal in order to accomplish that. So although she acknowledges that, you know, what's happened with Courier is questionable, she talks about how she reflects on the importance of building trust. So specifically here, she says, and the other thing that I reflected on a lot is that I obviously am someone who is very willing to take a lot of risks and say unpopular things and do things that others may not agree with morally, but that I believe are effective and critical to this work. You can do both overtly political work and invest in media, but I understand why that has such a bad rap and makes a lot of people uncomfortable. That is so important because if you cannot build trust with an audience, then you can't do anything else you set out to do. And then later in the article, she goes on to say uh, specifically about Courier, she says, I think there's a lot of mistrust on all sides of the political spectrum. That mistrust is very fair because you should not have have unlimited dark money influencing our politics, but we do. In order for Courier to be really successful, it is very important that over time it is not affiliated with a political organization or entity. We haven't made any decisions related to that yet, but I think that there is a lot of fair criticism that we are reflecting on and thinking about. Even though she says there's no future plans, now, looking back in the fact that Good Information Foundation exists, the following that she shares, um, I also found very interesting. Uh, and here in full quotes, it says, trust is hanging by a thread and without trust, what do we have? That is a quote from McGowan. McGowan goes on to say, in order to really preserve and strengthen our democracy, regardless of your political partisanship or ideology, it relies on us rebuilding trust. And that is about finding these opportunities in these windows and these messengers who is influential to different audiences. And that comes down to influencer marketing. It comes down to the sources that make people be like, huh, okay, then that must be true. Now, remember, she just, just said that she's not a completely sure what that's going to look like. And I'm going to point something out real quick because she's already talked about influencer marketing here. What about influencer marketing? That is specifically what the foundation is doing. And it is also what the corporation, Good Information Inc., is wanting to do and wanting to support. And then just to touch on one more, essentially she alludes to the fact that the structure that acronym had and how they were using advertising dollars on the social media platforms in the traditional form is just not sustainable and is not the future. And she says, I also think creating organizational networks that enable people to share trusted news and information with people in their life is an untapped resource and a solution for the disinformation epidemic. What I mean by that is pairing trusted news and information with regional organizing. The majority of Americans trust the people in their lives more than any other source of information. And so if we can arm people who are already media literate, regardless of what their ideology or politics are, to understand the value and impact of sharing and informing the people in their lives with trusted information, that would also be amazing. And what I find very interesting about this article and what she has said is that this was published December of 2020. Good information was registered February of 2021. So merely two months later, they were already registering good information. I think it's pretty clear from this interview that 
she has already formulated the plan for Good Information, Inc. Specifically, she has a plan to focus more on influencer marketing versus the traditional Facebook ads strategy. Um, I mean, she specifically says in the article how we we just cannot be dependent on one singular platform. So one of the ways to do that is to diversify and reach out and incubate creators to share the information that you want to be shared. And one of the things that I found, like we're talking about influencer marketing, and she's also emphasizing on trust and on good information. But I want to show you something that I found particularly interesting within the um, bullet points that were provided for this campaign, this campaign that was given to trial by Preston uh, to share specifically about January 6th. Because myself, as an influencer, I'm very familiar with the requirements that exist, that when someone works with a brand or if you are paid to do something, that you are supposed to disclose it. So I thought to myself, what would be the benefit of putting your name with this campaign, um, paying someone and still having the disclosure of the fact that you paid for it? Eventually, people would know that this person was being told to share this information and that they had received payment. Well, it turns out that when we're dealing with issues or when you're being paid to share um, something in regards to advocacy, um, you do not have to disclose it. I believe the idea is, is that if you did not agree with it, if you did not truly want to advocate for it, then you wouldn't accept to do it in the first place. And the fact that you're being paid to do it, I guess isn't a concern or maybe we shouldn't know about it or shouldn't be worried about it. So I want to go and look at something that I initially missed and it wasn't until later during my investigation that I realized when I was asking myself the question, why would they even do this if disclosure would have been required? So let's go check that out. And as you can see here, core deliverables, it's telling you what they want delivered, but specifically right here, it says, do not use paid disclosure, not required for issue advocacy content. So not only are they wanting you to share information specifically about MAGA Republicans and the January 6th investigation and the criminal conspiracy and the fact that allegedly Trump spent literally millions, literally millions of dollars to make January 6th happen. They also don't want you to disclose the fact that you were paid $400 to share this content. As soon as Good Information Inc. was registered, Vox broke the story and reported on it. At the time, it was reported as being the project for Good Information. Vox got their hands on an internal memo, and the internal memo stated, quote, PGI is building a new media ecosystem to meet the urgency of this moment by incubating, investing in, and scaling ideas that not only serve the public good, but that drive innovation in content distribution and business models. PGI is building a portfolio of media properties to radically and rapidly improve the way our society values, consumes, and exchanges information on the internet. Vox goes on to report on Courier Newsroom. This time, however, McGowan is attempting to strip away the partisan ties that have dogged her previous journalism plays, including Courier Newsroom, which her new organization will back. 
The idea, according to people familiar with the new structure, is to continue creating a media ecosystem without the linkages between those outlets and a political organization like Acronym, Courier's current backer. A lingering challenge, though, will be how to position the outlets as a nonpartisan given McGowan's background. Now, Vox goes on to specifically report on the fact that good information will also be creating a nonprofit good information project, which later turned into Good Information Foundation. McGowan is attempting to raise $65 million for the effort this year, with $35 million for the investment arm, $25 million for the foundation, and the remaining $5 million for a two-year operating budget. Acronym and its affiliated group have previously had success raising money from leading Democratic donors in Silicon Valley, including LinkedIn founder Reid Hoffman, venture capitalist Mike Moritz, former Barack Obama campaign manager David Plouf, who has his own ties to the Silicon Valley donor world, also advises Acronym. Fox News reached out to McGowan for comment, but she did not respond. She did not leave a comment. However, a few months later, it was announced that Acronym was going to have a leadership restructuring and that McGowan was going to be leaving Acronym. A few months later after that, that was when it was announced that Courier was going to be sold to Good Information. McGowan leaves Acronym and then essentially takes Courier Newsroom along with her over to Good Information. Vox did reach out for comment from McGowan, but she did not respond. However, a few months later, she did respond to a question for this article on Axios a few months later. And it was an exclusive billionaire's back new media firm to combat disinformation. It specifically says, a new public benefit corporation backed by billionaires Reed Hoffman, George Soros and others was launching on Tuesday to fund new media companies and efforts that tackle disinformation. What I found very interesting, though, however, in this article was the fact that they touched on the article from Vox. And specifically, it says that McGowan told Axios that there was no plan to launch a nonprofit, even though Good Information Foundation had already been founded and in fact was granted tax exemption status just a short four months later. Axios also confirms that uh, Good Information Inc. will acquire Courier News from Acronym. Now, what's really interesting, or just one thing that I want to point out, is that one of the names that you've heard now multiple times is Reid Hoffman. Now, a lot of us already know who George Soros is, and not surprised that George Soros would be donating to an organization such as this. George Soros has funded a lot of progressive district attorneys and prosecutors in cities like San Francisco. Chicago, if not mistaken, mostly in cities that we are seeing an increase of crime, mainly for a lack of prosecution from these district attorneys and these prosecutors. Now enters also Reed Hoffman. So Reed Hoffman has donated millions of dollars to organizations such as Acronym and also funds other dark money organizations. However, one of the interesting things, just a little side note about Reed Hoffman, back in 2018, he got kind of caught up in a disinformation scandal. So it says LinkedIn co-founder reportedly funded Russian style influence campaign in Alabama race. So what ended up happening here was that this group, 
did a project and the project essentially created a fake Facebook page designed to attract conservative Republican voters. Once they had built an audience, the page criticized Republican candidate Roy Moore and urged its followers to vote for a writing candidate, according to an internal report on the campaign obtained by the Times. Quote, we orchestrated an elaborate false flag operation that planted the idea that the Moore campaign was amplified on social media by a Russian bonnet, the report said. Now, eventually, um, he apologized for getting involved with this. So it's possible that he donated the money and did not know exactly what they were going to be doing. He's a busy man. He donates a lot of money. But also, I feel like you should know where you're donating your money. Call me crazy. Now, hold on, because we are in the home stretch here. This is where everything kind of gets packaged together and uh, I tie it off with a cute little bow, right? We have Tara McGowan. Tara McGowan back in 2017, she founded Acronym. Acronym then created this PAC, Pacronym. The dark money through Acronym would go over to the PAC. She also founded Courier News. Courier News was used to disseminate uh, news, and I'm not saying it was all false, but it was definitely questionable, the practices. I, there was a question of journalistic ethics there, especially when you take a press release from a vulnerable Democrat and just repackage it into a news report and then publish it across your news sites. However, and then we also had the drama that happened with the app. Clearly, after all that happened, and once we got through the 2020 election cycle, Tara realized that the entire structure and everything that had happened so far had honestly tarnished the Courier newsroom. And she essentially says in her interview with Fast Company that she needs to protect Courier News and also just the uh, and create more trust. And in order to do that, she needed to separate Courier News from political organizations. So therefore, Tara McGowan goes and she leaves acronym, right? Leaves acronym, forms good information. A few, like a week later, good information foundation is also founded. And then shortly thereafter, Courier News is acquired from acronym by good information. So now we're at almost basically current day. Now, mind you, at the time that the foundation had already been registered and a few months before it's granted tax exemption, she tells Axios that she has no intentions to create a nonprofit, when clearly, as you can tell from the article that was done with Fast Company and the fact that, I don't know, that foundation was already registered, that was a lie. That just was not true. Then August of this year, she registers the Good Information Foundation as a charity in the state of New York. And literally a month later, this TikTok goes viral. The TikTok goes viral because the Good Information Foundation has decided to reach out to trial by Preston and to ask him to offer to pay him to put out messaging about January 6th and MAGA Republicans information that was clearly false. And instead of using the traditional Facebook ads to spread her messaging, she is opting instead to use influencer marketing hence TikTok. And I'm sure we would see things like that on Instagram, Facebook, and other platforms. 
So I wonder, is Good Information Inc., now, which acquired Courier and the Good Information Foundation, just a restructuring or a revamping of the of the dynamic that she had created between acronym, Courier, and Pacronym, just a different type of structure. So instead of using dark money and using Facebook ads and advertisements, she's now focusing on influencer marketing because specifically the Good Information Inc. talks about how they have a news platform and how they want to spread trusted information and how the Good Information Foundation talks about the fact that they want to compensate influencers to share their original stories and then put it out on different news networks. It just happens to be that they are affiliated with Good Information Inc., which has Courier, which has a bunch of independent or like small localized news. So would it be too far of a stretch that the new strategy here for laundering news, so to speak, is to use the Good Information Foundation and for them to take talking points over to influencers, pay these influencers to create these stories, not requiring any form of disclosure, for then those influencers to post about it, for then um, them to be shared over with Good Information Inc., possibly picked up by the news groups that are run by Courier to then spread the news, so to speak, which is just acronym, essentially, but with a different name and a different structure. And I don't think I'm stretching there. I mean, we've already seen the website's been pulled. We've already seen that the board chair, Rick Steigel, has been removed. Um, something is up here. And as she mentioned in her Fast Company article, she thinks that this is where journalism is going. Journalism is going into the world of hyperpartisanship, hyperpartisanship that unfortunately only further contributes to the division that we're already seeing in this country. Is this really what we want to see? Is this a model that we want to encourage? I don't think so. I'm not saying that she is doing anything illegal. I am definitely saying that maybe there is a question of ethics here. Uh, I might even stretch it to say that there's some moral questioning here for sure. And I would most, most definitely say that there's a question of journalistic integrity. If this was the original plan, if this was the structure, is to pay people to create stories without having to disclose any sort of compensation and eventually funnel it over to the courier newsroom. There's no question that our news has become increasingly politicized and it's almost become like a combat sport. However, I, even though I personally cover a whole lot of mostly conservative um, talking points, what some people might say, I want to make sure that the information that I'm giving and that I am sharing with you is truthful, that it is factual, and that I am being honest and transparent with everything that I share. But I am just a creator. I am not a news organization. And I just don't think that creating a false story and paying a content creator or an influencer to disseminate that story without disclosing the fact that they're being paid to potentially funnel it into your news organization is a 
good practice for a journalistic or news organization. So that's all I have to say. I know it was a lot. It was like a crap ton of information, but I wanted to walk you through not only my entire investigation, but my thoughts as I went along the way. And then I wanted to kind of put it together for you to understand really what I believe or what I'm theorizing um, was the plan or is the purpose of the Good Information Foundation and Good Information Inc. I don't know if those plans have been thwarted now that they've pulled down their website and they were exposed by this TikToker, but I thought it was important to share the story so we can be aware of when these things happen and if they happen, that we can identify them. I want to open it up to you. What do you think about these sort of practices? Is this where journalism is going? Should we be using influencers more as opposed to straight news sites, if that even exists anymore? And how do you feel about the idea of dark money or 501c4s? Do you think it's something that should continue? Do you feel opposed to it? Are you torn about it like I am myself? Like, I'm not gonna lie. I'm kind of on the fence, but I definitely don't like the way it gets abused. That's for sure. So that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for holding on for this long because I know it was a lot. And if you really, if you like the story and you think it's beneficial and you think somebody else should hear it so they can learn about it, make sure you like it, leave a comment, share, subscribe, leave a review, all of the things to help the algorithm so other people can find it. Remember, this is my consistently inconsistent podcast, so I don't know exactly when my next episode will be. But if you want to make sure that you don't miss the next episode, follow me on Instagram at It's Mercedes, or you can also join my email list in the link in the description below. And finally, real quick, if you're looking for any of the sources that I talked about today, you can find it on my website, It's I'll see you on the next one when it happens.